0: Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast. This is an election year. Will Donald Trump be re-elected? What is going on with the Democrats? And has America gone even more crazy? We'll be discussing all of these things and more, more than once a week, because we don't feel you have enough Americano in your life. And I have a special offer for Americano listeners. If you want to subscribe to The Spectator's US edition, which is brilliant, by the way, I edit it, you can go to www. Dot spectator.us forward slash subscribe and take advantage of our special Americano offer. If you insert the code Americano in capital letters like Donald Trump on Twitter, you will get 5% off. Please do so. I'm joined today by DeRoy Murdoch, who is a Fox News contributor and a contributing editor of the National Review Online. And we're going to be talking about Joe Biden's super mini Tuesday. As expected last night, DeRoy, first of all, welcome to London. Thank you, Freddie. It's great great to be here It's great to have an American actually in the office to do an American You're
1: hearing an American accent on this podcast, which is probably unusual. (laughs) Yeah.
0: As expected last night, Biden sort of came pretty close to wrapping up the nomination. I think wrapping up may be putting it a little strong, but it's hard to see any way in which he doesn't win now. So the question immediate, we've talked a lot about in previous podcasts about how he turned it around. The question I'd like to ask today is, can he beat Trump? My hunch is that American politics is so crazy that he could.
1: What do you think about that? Well, first of all, first of all, thanks for having me here. It's great to be back in London, see, seeing uh, new, old friends and meeting new friends. As for Biden, the first thing I'd say is just uh, we all should be stand back and be astonished at this development. Two weeks ago, maybe two and a half weeks ago, he was written off. Last rights had been set over his campaign. Here he is. It looks like he's going to secure the nomination. Uh, I described this last week after after the uh, Super Tuesday victory. I think he won 10 out of 14 primaries. I described it as the uh, second most consequential resurrection of the last 2,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here he is. I mean, nobody saw this coming and uh, I think Uh, Sanders probably got himself in some trouble defending not once but twice or maybe three times the Cuban Revolution and saying what a wonderful thing it is that they have literacy there. You know, I went through public uh, government uh, school kindergarten through 12th grade. I became literate, but we don't have political prisoners in the United States and uh, we don't take AIDS patients and throw them onto their own island. Mm. Uh, People don't uh, hop in uh, inner tubes and try to swim away from our country. So you actually can, the government can make people literate without having political oppression. Uh, Somehow this has escaped uh, Bernie Sanders, unfortunately. And Uh, here we have uh, Biden apparently leading and on the way, maybe unstoppable on the way to the nomination. So that really is incredible. Can he beat Trump is a very good question. I would say probably three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I would have said inconceivable. The incredible economy we have in the United States, lowest black unemployment, uh, lowest unemployment in 50 years overall, uh, lowest unemployment for women since 1953, historically low unemployment for uh, Hispanics and people of Asian background, the stock market Dow Jones uh, Industrial Average approaching 30,000. All these wonderful indicators, as well as energy independence and, and lots of wonderful things that are going on, were just charging along beautifully. And all of a sudden, all of this was derailed by some tiny germs. Yeah, incredible. Uh, you know, we we defeated, we more or less seem to have uh, neutralized Al Qaeda. Uh, we destroyed the ISIS caliphate, which used to be twice the size of New Jersey, that's now completely erased. And then here come these little microbes to come in and govern our lives. Who saw that coming? So if this, um, if we bounce back, and the coronavirus is put behind us, and it turns out not to be such a big deal, I think the economy will rebound again, it will bounce back up, and everything will be fine. If this drags on, if it leads to recession, uh, leads to all sorts of economic difficulties, it'll be very hard for President Trump to ask the very simple question that all of us expect him to ask in the fall, which is, "Are you better off now than you were four years ago?" Yes. Instead, the question will be something like, "Try to think back to three years and two months ago, and were better off then than you were th- uh, seven years and two. It, it becomes so difficult to put all that together.
0: Well, I watched last night. I watched the press conference that Vice President Mike Pence, who's been put in charge of the Corona crisis, gave. And he seemed to be making it clear with Larry Kudlow that the government would fire, you know, the the stimulatory equivalent of a nuclear missile at this crisis if, if it has to. Are you a bit worried about the fact that the American government has fired quite a few stimulatory missiles at its own economy in recent years and one day something might go very badly wrong?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, well, I remember very well when uh, Obama was doing all the stimulus and stimulus, and more stimulus, uh, something along the lines of about $980 billion, I think was the amount. Mm. And I said to people in various speeches and whatnot, are you feeling stimulated? <laughs> yeah. And People didn't feel very stimulated at all. Right. And so we just sort of dragged along, bumped along in, in level of stagnation really until Trump came along and revived the economy. Um, yeah, I think we're stimulating a lot. We're spending a lot of money. Uh, I'm very supportive of Trump on The tax cuts, the regulatory cuts, which have been amazing. I believe it's eight regulations killed for every new one imposed. Uh, But the spending curve is way too high. Mm. And uh, basically, unfortunately, this is because in order to get more defense spending, which we needed after the, the uh, sort of, shall we say, parsimonious approach of, of his predecessor, uh, the thought was, well, we need the defense money. The only way to keep the Democrats from blocking it is is just cave into them on domestic spending. So each side basically got what it wanted. The Republicans got the defense spending, and Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi got their social spending, and everybody lived happily ever after. The trouble with this is that uh, it just has led to a massive spending curve. And I mm-hmm. think it would have been more acceptable if they'd said, okay, we'll, we'll go along with your social spending, but we need some structural reforms. So, for example, every agency in the government has to go through a, a sunsetting provision. You know, do we still need these agencies or not? And some of them have outlived their usefulness, so let's get rid of them. A very simple idea zero based budgeting. We don't just take your last budget and ladle some gravy on top of it. You've got to come in and say, okay, from dollar one, please justify your existence, the existence of all these programs. And if mm. there's some that we don't need, we'll get, we'll get rid of them. But none of those reforms were agreed to. None of them, I think, were even proposed or requested. And that's a shame. And I hope if we are to go forward with this $1 of social spending for every dollar of defense spending, at least we get some kind of uh, structural or reformist type efforts attached to the money. So far, we've not seen any of that.
0: And that would be something for a Trump second term. He's not about to try and do that now. Probably not With an election approaching. But putting the economy to one side, and if we look at a sort of matchup just between Trump and Biden, Biden does have the great advantage of not being Hillary Clinton which, uh, you know, she was an amazingly toxic candidate in many ways. And Biden may be a bit gaga, as seems to be the case, but he doesn't have that toxic eliteness
1: that uh, Hillary Clinton exuded. You no, know, this is very true. There are a lot of people who can't stand Hillary Clinton. She's just uh, a- Fingernails on chalkboards for so many people. Conversely, I don't know anybody who hates Joe Biden. A lot mm. of us disagree with him. We hope he doesn't uh, uh, win his elect, uh, win, uh, election to the White House. We, we wish him the best and happiest years with his children and grandchildren, and that they uh, live happily ever after in front of the fireplace with the eggnog and the Christmas trees and the whole bit. Um, <laughs> and no so, malarkey. And no malarkey. Never any malarkey, by, by no means. So he doesn't come, come across with that uh, sort of uh, toxic or, or very kind of caustic or abrasive uh, tone that. Hillary Clinton had. She could be very mean, very condescending. Uh, the way she treated her Secret Service agents is a, is a very good uh, emblem of this sort of thing. Um, I will clean up the language a bit, but um, apparently, when she was in the White House as First Lady, she uh, was walking through the hallway one morning. And one of the uh, Uniformed Secret Service agents said to her, A good morning, ma'am. And her response to him was, quote, F off, unquote. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So this is the kind of attitude and personality she's got. And it, and sometimes on the campaign trail, this would exude itself. in yes. the famous deplorables comment and other ones like this. I don't think you see that out of Biden. So so he comes to the race without people uh, having the hairs stand up on their backs of their necks when, uh, when they see him.
0: Well, he's perhaps not as... Uh amiable as he was I and mean, it seems to be as, as the years are getting to him he's becoming a bit more crotchety uh, yesterday we saw him uh saying you don't know i'm going to swear <laughs> you don't know shit to uh, a man in a hard hat who dared to ask him if he was going to take away his guns um <laughs> do you think uh,
1: upsetting construction workers and gun owners all of one fell swoop but then interestingly i mean i think
0: there's a danger that the the right-wing commentariat, if you like get carried away with these incidents whereas just as with trump in 2016 you know tapes recording him saying all sorts of vulgar things don't actually hurt him and in fact working class people quite like Trump uh, Biden's irascibility and his you know working man so-called toughness.
1: I think there's some of that. I think also you have to be a bit, bit careful in attacking someone, as you say, who I think is not in full control of his mental capacities. Uh, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist, but but he seems to be uh, engaged or suffering from something like early onset dementia or something like this. So there are mm-hmm. just numerous episodes where uh, used to be the gaffes were just things that he said were politically incorrect or sort of insensitive or whatever. You know, saying you can't go through. I think he was talking about Delaware or his area. You can't go through. Can't walk in into Seven Eleven without seeing an Indian guy who runs the place. (laughs) Things like this. But it's gone beyond that to him saying things like, uh, you know, please vote for me on Super Thursday when it's really Super Tuesday, Uh, standing in the middle of New Hampshire saying, isn't Vermont a wonderful state? So his sense of time and place doesn't seem to be quite what one would hope for the US commander in chief. But if you pound that too hard, I think you it, it could boomerang and people feel like, well, why are you beating up on this poor man yeah. who's obviously got some, you know, a condition or something like that? See, it, it could boost a sympathy vote. You know, when I see him in those situations, I don't feel gleeful. I sort of feel sorry for him. Yeah. So there's some sense that the sense of sympathy might perhaps boost him, uh, boost his prospects in the fall. I think the most important thing that he brings to the race is how he has a tremendous pension for turning out black votes.
0: Mm.
1: Hillary Clinton didn't, didn't do a great job of that. I'm not sure Bert, Bernie Sanders would have done that. And now I've just been thinking I'd have to look at the numbers and see if this makes, uh, makes much sense. But could enough black people turn up in a normally Republican state like Mississippi? Yeah. So suddenly Mississippi's in play. Or Alabama's in play, and rather than we're having to worry about okay, how do we keep Wisconsin or how do we get Michigan to stay in the Republican column, now you've got perhaps have to worry about southern states with large black populations. Yeah. We're going to turn up in big numbers, and rather than have have these as reliable GOP states, these now become essentially swing states for the GOP. That could happen, which which just reorganizes the electoral map uh, in a way that could be very frustrating for, for Republicans. As, potentially.
0: as as a black American, could you perhaps explain, particularly for our English listeners? What is Biden's appeal to black Americans? It, it it seems mysterious to me.
1: Yeah, it is a little mysterious because obviously he's not black, um, doesn't have a black wife or anything of the sort. But I think it's just frankly that he he spent eight years as the vice president of uh, Obama, the first black president. Mm. So I think that, first of all, it boosts his name ID all the way up to you know, 95 or 100%. And secondly, I think there's a sense that, well, he rode shotgun beside Obama. So we have to put a lot of faith in him as black people, something of the sort. And one of the reasons, the only reason he's really, Still in this race is he had not just a victory in South Carolina, but a tremendous, I think, 29-point victory Mm. in uh, South Carolina. He way, way exceeded expectations and uh, completely clocked Sanders and the rest of them. And largely, that's because a lot of black Democrats showed up and voted for him. And uh, if the same folks who sort of stayed away, stayed at home, didn't turn up in big numbers for Hillary Clinton, suddenly show up for Joe Biden uh, in a tight race, especially in places like Pennsylvania, places like uh, Wisconsin, places like Michigan, can be very problematic. And if we understand
0: Obama was putting in all the calls to various candidates saying it's time to get behind Biden now. And, and if he has Obama backing him quite so closely, I mean, Obama certainly did lots of speeches for Clinton, but it's all, there was always a sense that they weren't great friends. I think
1: uh, uh, I think that's true. And, and uh, to date, uh, Obama's not uh, uh, endorsed um, Biden yet, which yeah. I think he, he would have done as is, you know loyal vice president and all that. I suspect if he gets the nomination, of course he'll he'll endorse him, he'll give a beautiful speech at the convention and they'll probably do lots and lots of rallies together. Yeah. And you know, again, if the white vote stays where it is but the black vote goes up, and remember some of these states that Trump won, he just won by 50,000 votes, 100,000 votes. Yeah. So if this goes up, that's very dramatic. I think that's all the more reason that Trump should continue to do what he's been doing, which is to appeal to black voters. Yes. He's been doing a good job of that, but not as energetic of a job of that as I might hope. Um, he's done quite a few things. One is tremendous support for historically black colleges and universities, Howard University, Spelman, Morehouse, and others. In his first five weeks in office, I think it was February of 2017, he brought in something like about three dozen presidents of historically black colleges and universities, announced that he was going to open an office in the White House to make sure that they were well taken care of. They asked Obama for eight years to make one small change in American public policy, which is to make Pell Grants, which is a college scholarship program available. Um, Normally, it was only given out for fall and spring semesters. Apparently, a lot of these students at these historically black colleges and universities like to go to summer school for some reason, so they wanted to have a financial assistance for summer school. They begged Obama for eight years. Obama didn't give them a time of day, didn't listen, didn't do what they want. Uh, Trump listened and he said, Great, we can do that. And within two years, they got it. And now kids going to those historically black colleges and universities will get financial assistance for summer school. Small things like that he's done. Mm-hmm. That's terrific. You know, he uh, renamed the Martin Luther King burial place a National Historical Park. had not been that before. So th- things of this sort are very positive. And I think he needs to go more. He talks about it at, at the rallies and so on. He needs to go into black neighborhoods. He needs to knock on black doors. He needs to go to black churches. He needs to go to black union halls, whatever it may, may be, and yeah. show his face. This does two things. One is it increases the chances that blacks will vote for him. He's not going to get 100% or 60% or 40% of the black vote. But if he gets 20% of the black vote, it's pretty much good night, Irene, for, Irene, for the Democrats. because yeah. they, they need they can't have that larger chunk of their base disappear without them falling over.
0: Well, they are setting up campaign offices in African-American neighbors where normally the Republican Party just
1: wouldn't be seen ever. They're doing this, and this is tremendous. This is great news. Yeah. This is wonderful. The other effect that's very important that people don't think of quite so much is what impact this has on what I call nervous white voters white folks who think, well, I like Trump's tax cuts, I like the economy, but you know, I hear he's a racist, so if I vote for him, that makes me a racist. Yeah. If you turn on your TV and you see the President of the United States cutting the ribbon in Milwaukee or somewhere in the an area in Detroit campaign office for, mm. for the Trump-Pence GOP ticket, uh, and he's shaking black hands and kissing black babies, or what have you, it's very hard to think of him as a racist. And if the Democrats don't have that, that rhetorical sledgehammer that they use to beat Republicans' heads in all the time, you're a bunch of racists, you're a bunch of Klansmen, you vote GOP, as Joe Biden himself said, and y'all will be back in Chains. He actually said it back in uh, 2010, 2012. I think it was. It's just an obscene comment. Uh, If they lose that, they don't have very much, very little else to stand on, and therefore nervous white voters can say, "Ah, he's not a racist. I can vote for him, and I'm not a racist either." Yes.
0: I mean, again, extraordinary that Biden can have a record of saying something like that, and yet still be this figure that black voters seem to like. Which, like Bill Clinton, in many ways, Bill Clinton didn't do great things for black people in America. Yet he was loved.
1: This is true. I think there is a sense of reassessment on the part of some black folks that things have gotten so good under Trump in terms of low unemployment and economic opportunity. Those are all very positive things. I think the number of black-owned businesses is now at a record, things Mm. of that sort. But I think there's also a sense, looking back at eight years of the Obama-Biden administration, this was supposed to be our promised land. The black president was going to come and fix everything and all of our problems would go away, et cetera. And that didn't happen. And some folks feel like, wow, we had not just four years, but eight years. and He really didn't do so much for the black folks. So um, I don't know if that sense of doubt will be enough to to help or hurt Biden one or the other. But I think that definitely is a factor in, in the thinking.
0: You mentioned Detroit. And last night, Biden won quite handsomely in Michigan and did particularly well in poor suburban and rural areas where Sanders did quite well before. He was thrashed by Biden last night which suggests that in terms of blue-collar, poor white voter appeal, Biden really does have an edge that Clinton didn't and Sanders we thought did, but apparently
1: doesn't. No, this is true. He seems to have that feel, and I think it's more atmospheric than anything else. He's from Scranton, Pennsylvania, which is not exactly the main, main line of Philadelphia. This is a blue-collar, hardworking area, not uh, the suburbs with the posh people, as you say, over here. Yeah. So he does definitely has that appeal. Again, I think if the economy is thriving and we get over the COVID-19 crisis and everything goes back to back to where it was before, gee, okay, well, you know, I like the blue-collar tone of Biden, but boy, my um, my pension account looks terrific and it's easy to pay the bills. That sort of goes away. If the economy's in, in, in bad shape and you've got this guy who's got blue collar appeal, I think a lot of people say, well, you know, how much more of Trump do we want? So it, it's, uh, it's really scrambled things away that nobody saw, you know, three or four weeks ago.
0: Yeah. It's also shown that America isn't going as hard left as we thought it might be. I mean, certainly something like Obamacare, which Biden is promising to sort of reform into Medicare for all eventually people seem to be more attracted to that message than Sanders, who was saying Medicare for all. Well, this
1: in is countries. interesting, because there's this notion that Biden is some kind of a moderate. And we heard about the moderate lane with the people who've dropped out subsequently or previously, yeah. such as Amy Klobuchar, Senator from Minnesota, Pete Booty Judge, the, the uh, mayor of South Bend, Indiana. These are the moderates, the centrists in the middle, in the central center lane. I took a look at their voting records. Buttigieg is not in the Senate, but you could compare Biden, uh, Sanders and Klobuchar. And I looked at their Americans for Democratic Action ratings, which is a liberal rating. And if I remember correctly, Biden got about an 80 uh, last. They were all in the Senate in 08. Uh, Sanders got 100, and Klobuchar got 100. So she was as left-wing as he is. Yeah. But you look at the ratings from the National Taxpayers Union in the U.S., Club for Growth, and others, and consistently, not not every time, but ve- very regularly and frequently, Klobuchar voted to the left of Sanders, and Biden was even to the left of Klobuchar. So the idea that he's some kind of a, a moderate is not the case. He is right. a far, far left Democrat, but he comes across as this reasonable, middle-of-the-road kind of guy. But when it came time to vote on the U.S. Senate floor, he voted strongly hard left.
0: Much, much like Obama, perhaps, and that's why for the Obama movement, he he could be the Biden could be the person who completes the the left wing revolution, perhaps that they started.
1: It could be. I think that the the left generally are smart enough, with the exception of a guy like Sanders, who who comes across as kind of uh, loud and angry and and kind of a, has the revolutionary zeal, if you will.
0: Yes, but then it's far too polite when he needs to be. Aggressive. This is yeah. true. Yeah,
1: there are there are times when you know he should he really should have gone after Hillary Clinton a lot harder than than he did, especially when he found out. In fact, it was a rigged system. Yeah. And they did steal the nomination from him, or at least uh, you know rigged the rules and all that sort of stuff. And he seemed to be very nice about that. And I think he it was, it was very nice also when they changed the rules to to let Bloomberg into the debates. And he mm. should have made a lot more noise about that. I think a lot of these people come across atmospherically as much more centrist than they are mm. people uh like i don't know if you, your uh, listeners will know the name cornell west but he's a professor previously at harvard i think he's at princeton now he's very left-wing but he looks very left-wing he just looks like a radical yeah. compare him for example to eric holder who was the uh, attorney general under under obama hard left he might as well be a black panther yeah. but he wears a brooks Brothers suit he's polished he's elegant he looks like the president of the rotary club And I think the left have gotten very smart about presenting themselves as as coming across as very centrist. And then you look at their, listen to their ideas and they're they're solid, solid left wingers.
0: You're presumably far too shrewd to make a prediction, but I'm going to ask you to, assuming it is a Biden-Trump matchup in November, who wins it?
1: If I had to bet now, I think Trump pulls it off. My guess is that the coronavirus mess will get behind us and the economy will rebound if it doesn't, he will be able to make a credible argument that this wasn't his fault. He didn't cook this up uh, in a Petri dish himself. <laughs> this came to us from overseas and that they did, a, I think a pretty good job of, of fighting it off. I just saw in the news uh, this morning that he somehow or another has persuaded the, uh, pharma, the, uh, uh, medical insurance companies not to charge for coronaviruses, mm-hmm. for pharma, me, not to charge test for it. coronavirus tests, I should say. Yeah, yeah. So if you get a test for this, they're not going to charge you any copays or anything like this. That sort of thinking point to and say, look, I, I did something to, Stop this. People complained early on when he had the restriction of flights in from China. Oh, what a racist. You're a bigot. Why do you hate Chinese people? Boo, hiss. Well, guess what? If he'd let those planes come in, yeah. and instead, it's, you know, we had 10,000 cases in the United States, people say, why didn't you stop the flights? How can we let these sick people get here? Yeah. And he can point to this now and say, see, you people yelled racist, but guess what? I kept that virus on the other, largely on the other side of the Pacific Ocean. And so he'll be able to say, if this thing goes on and on, look, I I fought it. I did the best I could. Don't blame me. Judge me on the economy. Judge me on the other accomplishments of our administration, net of that. And I think that it's a tough argument, but I think he prevails.
0: But the the fact that he got the uh, medical insurance companies in America to make that commitment, which is potentially a hugely significant and expensive one, suggests that maybe he had to say to them or his administration had to say to them, uh, if you don't do this, you could all be... Wiped out by Medicare for all in a matter of months.
1: That's true. Absolutely. You could say that. It's a very credible argument. People say, oh, he's so mean. He's such a bully. He's so nasty. Da, da. Well, I look, I think part of leadership is being tough. Mm. Uh, you know, we, we've seen what nice guys are like. Jimmy Carter was a very nice guy. Theresa May was a very nice lady. How did that work out for them?
0: Well, there's mixed thoughts on how nice Theresa May was. but <laughs> <laughs>
1: She may be nice.
0: She may be nice. Yeah, she, she was a good woman.
1: A good woman. A there woman there of moral substance. That's good. We yeah. like that. We like that.
0: DeRoy, it's been a great pleasure having you in, as always, and please come and join
1: us again. Freddie, great to be here. Can't wait to see you guys again next time.
0: Thank you very much for listening. Just a reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and you can also subscribe to the magazine through our special podcast offer, which is on www.spectators.co.uk forward slash pod offer. And we'll even throw in a Spectator moleskin notebook for people who take up that offer.